Hello. I am here inside of my living room with no background music today and tea because I don't I don't feel like jazz today. I feel like I want to just let the words stand on their own strength and within their own company. I know y'all just heard the class clink against the microphone. So this is Threadings, the newsletter and podcast where I discuss black feminism, love studies, other things keeping and collecting me. It's really the place that I come to have a journal that exists in public. It's the place that I come to have space and time and wherewithal to thread the bits of my life together into a quilt. And there is no rhyme or reason to this. I have tried to force myself to be on a weekly schedule. My life does not happen in like a cute packageable sequence such that I can summarize it every week and then give it to you all. I learn and I experience and then I grow and then I am able to sit down and hand sew this quote with you. So thank you for waiting. And I want to make you no more promises about the, oh, I'll be back and da-da-da-da-da and we'll get ourselves in order. I'm, I am disordered. I am disorderly. In fact, I have here an essay about being disorderly on purpose entitled Revolutionary Love Costs You Something with the subtitle Notes on No Longer Charging for Client Services. Before we get into the essay, just a little bit of background in case you somehow were unaware. I like uh, the idea that someone somewhere has just happenstanced upon this podcast and has no idea about anything else that I do. That would be lovely. So in case that's you, hello, straight internet friend. My name is Isma Tu, and I am a therapist, classically trained, turned life coach, because I do not agree with what most of licensure requires. If you need to know more about that, there is a podcast essay entitled Therapists Are Also the Police. In diverging from the regular path of licensed clinicianship where you work for uh, a private practice or a regular nonprofit or the state government or what have you, um, I have been forging a new kind of way to be able to give people the care that I think actually needs to happen, which is community endeavors, community-oriented, community-led um, community healing, communities that are able to function autonomously eventually. I think most of the wounds that we have as people happen within community. And so I think that most of the healing that we need to do, once you're able to regulate like your own self, you need to be like humans are like string instruments. You tune a string instrument to itself and then you tune to your orchestra. That's how I feel about the process of um letting love turn you into something different. Oh, also I'm drinking um, lemongrass and white coconut tea. It's delicious. As I have gone on this process of providing something new and something different, I kept coming up against this grating sense of wrongness, this, 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 the dis-ease, the chronic pain of misalignment. It felt like I had slipped a disc in my back. Because every time I was like, okay, it's time for people to pay me for these services, I was like, I just don't want to. <laughs> it was like pulling teeth, getting me to charge, um, even when people expressed that they wanted to pay. And it was also heartbreaking um, going through the process of intake and session and whatnot, 
realizing that the way that money moved in this space was just antithetical to what it is that I actually want. And so I did something that made me precarious. I announced that decision across my social medias, and there was a lot of feedback. Much of it was designed to be uh, constructive and helpful. And I wanted to break down some of these things that we conceive of as helpful as places in which we actually have desires to shrink. So with no further ado, uh, revolutionary love costs you something. I don't usually do this, but some tea on my life. Before I endeavor to speak to the public, I pray and meditate. Um, and I included my pre-essay prayers in this one. This is, my, this is a, a scanning of my actual notebook. So I will read that to you, and then we'll get into things. Pre-essay prayers at the end of July, 2023. How do I say this without yelling? Do y'all not see me? Is, like, how can we not see that this is bigger than me? I want us to think bigger than the immediate fears. I know that it's scary to be insecure. I know that. And it doesn't change that needs are needs. To Ismatu, to you, Ismatu. <laughs> Let the fear of failing and individualism move you into finding collective solution. What does it move when you conform? You who has the ability to shape the world, what does it move? Everyone can see you. You don't have the option to play it safe. Or actually, I guess you do. You could settle. But then what? Then what? What, what moves when you reach for the power to save you and only you. You settle and then the world turns on with all these teeth that she never asked for. What keeps you safe? You Ismatsu. What keeps you safe from the teeth that keep chewing up the world? What if you risk making yourself even softer, even in that presence of fear and vitriol and fangs, strong and weak, are opposites. Strong and soft are not. That's word to veto. If you're listening to this, I love you. What would it cost you? What would you bloom? Adonai, have mercy on us. Keep my head steady and my gaze to the mountains such that I never dream of what's smaller than myself. Adonai, have mercy on me. We begin with Oshun's flight. I have been reading In Pursuit of Revolutionary Love, Precarity, Power, Communities, written by Joy James. In doing so, I am changing my own life. James is an activist scholar that has been a pillar of my world making and dreaming since late college. There is no greater gift one can give a teacher than to allow their words to impress you, to pass through their hands on a page and be changed. I invite us all into a moment of quiet revolution, revolution under the secondary definition, wherein an object in motion moves through an orbit and returns to its starting place, different and the same. From the preface, Ocean's Flight, as told by Dr. Joy James. I do not seek to represent or dishonor any spiritual or religious traditions. 
If I err, please forgive. I merely note that this thirst compels this writing. I heard one story about the African Orisha Oshun. I do not recall all the details, so I embroider here to make my own political ethical points. According to the group, as the ambitious lofty conspired to overthrow the creator, they mocked Oshun, who had refused to join in a coup or genuflect as a political demimonde. Angered by the upstart's challenges to authority, the disorder of things, spirit, Oludumare, withdrew protections, water in skies and on lands dried up. Oshun sided with the lower castes, the dispossessed masses, animals, humans dying from mountain nourishment, parched and perched amid poisoned and absent waters. Oshun so loved the world. The only embodiment of the beauty of rivers and streams dared to fly to the heavens to petition spirit, Oludumare, for redress and for aid to those suffering cracked earth under dry and burning skies. As Oshun flew closer to spirit, the radiated sun took its toll. Their beautiful peacock-like feathers began to smolder and burn and fall away. And despite the agony, Oshun focused on the desperation of those left behind and so reached their destination. Shorn of beautiful feathers, scorched and scarred with the ashen appearance of a gray vulture, Oshun stumbled from the torturous flight to approach spirit, and Oshun bows. Oludumare observes, then agrees to listen to Oshun's petition on behalf of those betrayed by life, abandoned by gods, bereft with broken defenses to ward off leadership alien to the needs of the mass. Was it compassion? Was it grace that led to respite from desertification? Or was the catalyst the beautiful boldness wielded by a defiant Orisha compelled to care? Whatever the motivation, spirit heard risk and love and courage in the pleadings and ceased to punish the mass for the crimes of the arrogant challengers who sought to dethrone and to imperialize misery. Thwarted but unpunished, destructive wannabe gods continued to transgress for the accumulations. Unforgiven, they were forgotten by many except the dishonored and the desperate who recalled and recoiled from their violence. Ignoring the imbalance on the scales of justice, the heavens granted relief from pain by releasing rain to all as spirit met our desperate needs for flowing waters. The path of a worthy returnee is sojourn, a painful sojourn. Oshun flew into scorching skies, seeking to sabotage authoritarianism and to serve the people. Taking flight as a warrior, Oshun navigated sacrificial labor. Carried by the echo of protective spirits, Oshun's heartbeat became a radar for struggle with and without feathered beauty. Their persistence fueled revolutionary love. Here when revolution means to call for death. That's my note.
Thus, the Orisha returns wearing the radiance of agape. Reverence seeps through the labors of saints, ancestors, healers, doulas to fall upon captive communities and kin. Survival's battle catastrophes unleashed by would-be gods, rapists, capitalists, overseers, imperialists and traffickers, abortion bounty hunters, prison guards, environmental desecrators, military mercenaries and death squads, would-be gods. Survivors willing to hear the echoes of Creole-speaking love also coordinate flights and fights to ensure that, even when muddied, we remain within sacred waters. Is Oshun's flight as a tortured messenger a form of the captive maternal? Or is their labor to give birth to community care a gift from a transcendent deity? Are deities captives to agape? Do they willingly, unwillingly suffer or are they emotionally and spiritually compelled to sacrifice? Can all forms of communities, deified, humanized or dehumanized cyborg, generate or produce captive maternals? Oshun is a sovereign. Sovereigns suffer, yet are captive to love. In the presence of agape, battles for life ensue. Mm. Notes on revolutionary love and the precarious nature of loving kindness. Hello, internet friends. It is a Saturday in July. I have once again made a video that fundamentally changed the course of my life. In it, I announced that I am no longer charging for any of the care work that I engage in. It looks impulsive because I have mastered the art of in real time video format, but I have been chewing on this decision for months. Announcing this decision on socials solicited a flurry of comments meant to be constructive. Can you just do a donation model? Like, what about sliding scales? Surely there's some way that you can be paid for the services that you provide. Right? Oh, no, yeah. Fine and dandy. Let me tell you about my experiences trying to be reasonable. <laughs> every session, every session, I would say, cost is not a barrier. If at any point in time you find difficulty paying or you need help, all you have to do is say so. The answer is already yes. Every intake session, I would assert this. Every other week, I remind folks I would do my best to check in with folks before I sent invoices on the amounts that we agreed on. I took forever to send those first invoices out. <laughs> People fought to pay me. <laughs> they would remind me that I had not charged them, and I would pretend like I did not see that text. If folks did not pay their invoice, I would assume it was on purpose, and I would purposefully not remind them. It was already giving slip and slide, okay? I was already on a domain-based framework. Do you know what happened when I sent the following email? I'll read you the following email. <laughs> Good morning, all. With the subject line, I believe, uh, I will no longer be charging for client services. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You spent to how will you possibly pay your rent? I don't know. And if I'm honest, I don't fucking care. 
paying for community is just entirely antithetical to what I want this to be. It doesn't make any sense. Everything in me screams, I want to be doing this for free. And so I will. There are no more payments required for Lafia sessions from here on out. If I had the money to refund you, I would. I am broke and I literally could not care less. So if you still want to break off a piece as like a complete donation, that's cool. And I would thank you because I definitely did just pay rent and it did overdraft my account and say it with me. I do not care. I am just not motivated by money. I am motivated by community. And so I am going to find different ways to get this done. All right, have a great week. Hoping the work of your day passes through your hands with ease. Warmest regards, Isma2G. I sent that email out, right? And like, to be clear, there was already no cost requirement. Like I, I always told people, you can just come for free. I don't want cost to be a barrier. 10 texts within two hours of sending that email out, all with some effect of, oh my word, thank you, Ismatu. I, I didn't know how I was going to tell you that I, I couldn't keep paying and so I had to stop coming. This is how I found out that any associated cost is a barrier. Even on sliding scale, even on a completely voluntary, please do not worry if you cannot pay, suggested donation model, even with plenty of people that can pay, when I assured my constituents that they should not skip if they could not find the funds, folks still grappled with not attending session in secret. They did it in secret. Rather than just tell me that they couldn't pay and coming anyways, people would cry to me after session about how bad they felt in quotes, getting my labor for free, I would go blind with rage. Like I could not see the degradation that capitalism instills within us. Clearly it is not just physical. Lack of access can not only be structural, it's not just physical. The barriers aren't even exclusively financial because if finance was the barrier, asking for help when you know that the answer will be yes would be enough, right? If it was just finance, being able to say, I can't pay, would be possible. And yet, we are all brainwashed into attaching our own senses of worth to money. People weep when I tell them that they can come for free. They break down on the phone. There is a follow-up text, a shaky voice note, says, I, just, I, I feel so bad. You deserve to be paid. It has to be bigger than that. It has to. This is why I push back against the politics of deservingness so much and so frequently. Deserving is inconsistent at best. It is an inconsistent metric at its best. At worst, it allows us to exclude one another, to exploit one another, to make loving, supporting care contingent upon monetary access. I have to remind folks over and over again that they, under no circumstances, should skip session because they cannot pay, and they do it anyways from the psychological weight of having to ask for help. I can't suffer like this anymore. Shit is intolerable. No matter how much I insist, no matter if I make the sliding scale $10 or $1 or $0, all of those are stepping stools to overcome the barrier. Cost is a barrier. I don't want to do any more work around the workarounds. I am taking down the barrier in the first place. No more cost. Loving kindness cannot be regulated to what we in quotes deserve. It is inconsistent. We crave community and that goes past deservingness. What do I owe you?
To what do I owe you? How do we realize our highest good in tandem step? Do we remember when I said, every time you reach for power instead of love, you isolate yourself from your community? I need you to extrapolate a little bit with me, right? My powers are as follows. I am a young, public-facing, professional, educated at elite and private universities. I have amassed wild amounts of, of social capital in a short amount of time because I am a gifted orator with a really striking physical appearance. I am precisely and expansively trained in therapeutic services and community building, beginning that training at 15 years old at my local church. So it's been 10 cumulative years of training in leadership, speaking, small group leading, mentorship, ethnography, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and confidentiality. I would say in that order, but there was a lot of mixing in between there. And more than that, honestly. Alongside formalized and experiential education in abolition, transformative justice, somatic intervention, Black feminist world making, listen, Absolutely, it is easy to convince folks to pay me for the work of building community. Nobody argues with me. The above is a combination that actually makes people feel bad for not paying. People feel horrible. That's, that's a lot of power. That's quite a lot of power, okay? The, the, the model of counselor counseled means that I can never be a part of the spaces that I am trying to serve reaching for the power of legitimized, impressive professional isolates me from the very communities that I am trying to build. There is no mutuality in that. Such a hierarchy posits that I am above them, the counseled, that I am the expert in this space, and that there really is no us because I am the professional in residence and I, and I alone in this space, can provide a service that you, community member, cannot. How do I demonstrate vulnerability and healing, free and open exchange, from up on high? How, when humans learn best through mirroring, mirroring through example, and through storytelling, how do I ask people to risk skin in the game when I am safe, up above, well-paid, never having to depend on the communities that I created in the first place. I want the strength of mutual aid. And there I was settling for a charity model. I am not clinical, okay? I'm, I'm not allowed to practice clinical psychotherapy without catching a case anyways because I refuse licensure. And honestly, I wouldn't want to if I had it. I wanna be in and among the love so that I know that it's good and built to last. I don't wanna be all alone. So why am I still doing it like the systems that I came from? This is the private practice model. Me, professional, on high, always charging. You, coming to me, completely bereft, unable to support yourself. You lean on me and I stand upright. How? How do you design community that gives people a love you yourself never allowed to pass through your own body in the first place? Charging also fucked me up on the receiving end. I was constantly worried about whether the experience that I was providing was life-changing enough. 
charging gave me incentive to shy away from the sticky, awkward, unpleasant moments that are necessary for community building because I know that folks don't enjoy paying to have an uncomfortable time. I had to worry about being marketable. I had to ratio paying folks to folks that could not pay to make sure that I could pay all my bills. And that felt unnerving. It felt alarming. It felt like the Disney Fast Pass system, just thoroughly icky. Because it was. It was the Disney Fast Pass system. Even though I built a space outside of the private practice model, I was still operating as if insurance was tracking my progress. Are we moving fast enough for this to be worth it? Is this worth the money? Would I pay this money? Do I even want this money? Maddening. It was not working. I could not sleep. So, I annexed cost before I had the financial infrastructure to do so. Was it deranged and out of pocket? Yeah. yeah. Am I at peace being completely out of my mind? Ab-so-fucking-lutely. <laughs> The sense of well-being that washed over me once I sent that email out and I settled into myself, that peace will carry me through and touches me still. It's a peace that transcends time and, and mugs of tea. I hadn't slept in a week on account of the screaming. There was one, there was a small one, a girl child, about eight years old, in my head that screamed every time I sat down to collect payments screaming. All of the adults around me tried to counsel me into finding some peace with accepting payment. They stress self-sufficiency and autonomy and the reciprocal nature of things. I, I tried. I tried to be reasonable. I tried to be a reasonable, autonomous adult. I really did. It's just that my politic is alive and she will kill me. And she's also eight years old and fucking ruthless. Eight was the age when I realized that there were many many adults in this world that would let you die if you could not pay. Eight years old was the first time I asked for medicine to aid with body pain and I was denied because I did not have the money to purchase ibuprofen even though I could see it sitting right there. <laughs> we have been desensitized to how bad shit that is. Adult me resigns themselves to the brutality and to the negotiations. Eight-year-old me screams. That's the way of the world, I continue to hear, and she screams, she screams at me. Even last week, when I announced that I would not be accepting any more payments. Even last week, right, I said, okay, I'm, I'm done with this shit. It's not working. I cannot continue to do this. And I received a whole lot of things that were well-intentioned, but that were saying, be reasonable. Like, we, can, there, there has to be some way that we can, da, 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 da. listen, listen to me, listen to me in this part, if nowhere else, settling for being reasonable, settling for what's in front of us is exactly how nothing ever changes. Why are people so hell-bent I settle for what I can see? When we are tasked with the divinity of creation, that's what abolition is to be able to find some sovereignty in communities such that we can create places of safety for ourselves? Where is the divinity in settling to be a servant in someone else's imaginings of the world? No. No. I tried to be reasonable. 
It turns out that I have no interest in this iteration of reality. There is no way to build revolutionary community and charge folks to participate. I refuse to negotiate my dreams, point blank. So I embark on my own flight, okay? I, I pray that morning, Adonai have mercy on me. And I collapse into community and I burn a bit in the process. It turns my skin molten. I prepare myself for a new body, a shedding. I realize I haven't eaten in some amount of days because I still fast when I need something in my life to move. So I get myself a smoothie with the credit card that wasn't yet affected by the negative $1,000 balance in my bank account, and I enjoy a body that hums with itself, pleased and resonating, finally aligned enough to yawn. I'd slept maybe 20 non-cumulative hours over the previous 7 to 10 days, and I felt absolutely no side effects from that until right then. Because I was finally safe enough within my body to feel sleepy. What a blessing. I post the videos. I turn off my phone. I hope I get enough to pay rent. It's not that I don't understand the precarity that I put myself in. I get it. It's that, one, I personally would rather be bullied by the world than keep negotiating with my childhood self. She really learned to be a bitch before she learned to be a woman. That little homie will tan my hide. And two, I have a reverence for the love which requires instability. It is a way of life that I have always known. Revolutionary love is precarious. Both revolutions, the revolutions of a journey that takes you back to your starting place, changed. And the revolution that calls for death so that we can have the space to build something life-giving. Revolutionary love is precarious. It costs you something. If I cannot trust myself to leap and fall into these communities that I built, why did I build them? What were they for? If these communities that I say that I cultivate, including this community, this online space, including all of my online spaces, if these communities that I say that I cultivate cannot lean on each other instead of the false safety of individualism, why are they here? Why did I, why did I make them? What did we do all of this for, if not the risk of caring for one another well. A thesis comes to light. If I do not have community that I can collapse into, I don't have community. If I do not have community that I can successfully collapse into, I don't actually have community. How can I build these spaces where I encourage interdependence, mutuality, vulnerability, and then stand, stick straight upright, myself. How can I expect to move and shift culture with no skin in the game? Where the fuck is your courage, Ismatu? Love that is actually good for us is precarious by design. Love which allows newness requires the trust to bloom and be fragile with that process of opening. Trust like that happens easiest in the absence of systems that surveil us with unblinking fluorescent floodlights. So we have to make something new where we keep one another safe. Blooming is uncomfortable. This sort of blooming is uncomfortable. It is 
ugly and awkward for a good long while. Community requires space to unravel and be helpless. What, what happens when we regard one another sweetly in the presence of exhaustion? What kind of love would it take for you all to look at me disheveled and uncurated and not coach me towards sanity or regulation or self-reliance? What kind of love would it take from you all to look at me unraveled and feel honored rather than panicked? And you know what else I am? I'm frustrated as fuck. I'm frustrated that folks keep trying to get me to move towards individualism. There's your thesis. Stop that. But you have to take care of yourself. Do you not see what's happening here? Y'all don't see me radicalizing in real time? I don't give a fuck about your calls for autonomy and self-care if they're not followed up immediately by how do I care for you? How do we care for you? There's the ever-present beast of carceral thinking rearing his big and shiny fangs, the teeth that keep chewing up this world that I love so much, somewhere else away from me. Ismatu, you should be able to take care of yourself. Nami, <laughs> Ismatu, why are you unsightly in public? Don't you think that you should care for yourself? I am going to stab myself through the eyeballs. Do you know how I, I, do you know how good I am <laughs> at caring for myself? It would not be hard to live a life in which I only accepted paying clients. I accepted all of those money from paying clients. I made myself individual safety nets from that money. It wouldn't be hard. Do you know how long I have been relying on myself to make sure that I am cared for? I moved out of my parents' house when I was 17. I am so good at self-sufficiency. I love my own company. I am incredibly resourceful. You know how hard I worked to make myself enough for me? Yes, I, I am as enough as I can be. I know that I am enough. I want bigger than enough. I want excellence. I want excess. I want not enough to, to, to survive and to take care of me. I want enough space to be able to erect community love where it was previously a barren land. I want communal sovereignty. Stop asking me to settle. I want feasts for us all. It feels like y'all are asking me to settle for manna because there's risk involved. There is risk in depending on other people. Of course that's the case when there's skin in the game, okay? Buck the fuck up. Do you have the courage to deal with the inevitability of getting hurt when you're in community? Can you stand the idea of it being hard and uneasy and not straightforward? Isn't it terrifying to know that you could fall and that you sometimes will fall and that there will be no one to catch you even when you thought that it would then and then? Aren't you frightened of the way that people tire of this world? Aren't you scared and scarred by how much we pretend that we are safe in our individual little caves? Don't, do you feel safe? Do you feel safe on your lonesome? When you alone provide for you, do you feel safe to rest and cry and slow down and unravel? Doesn't everything come crashing down? Isn't that the nature of life for things to come crashing down? Are you risking being back to the floor anyways because there was no one else to catch you? Do you see how it's fear either way? Put some goddamn skin in the game. I really did try not to yell while writing this. 
this wasn't even me reading. I, like while writing this, I was like, Spencer, you're yelling. Stop yelling. I'm like, I'm trying. While I'm here being honest as hell, trying not to cuss y'all out and failing, is giving Tyra, listen, is giving, is giving, when my mother yelled at me like this, it was because she loved me. How dare you? We were all rooting for you. <laughs> the reason that I was not scared, because y'all like, oh, this is scary. I'm not scared. The reason I was not scared about rent money is because I trust you all. The reason I keep asking and asking you to say hello to me or engage with me evenly is because I am trying to be in community with you. There were many, many folks that asked me to be reasonable, to find like a workaround associated with costs, a workaround that keeps the barrier when I want the barrier to be gone. And then there were folks that cash at me a dollar, two dollars, many dollars so that I would not have to be precarious alone. And some people did both. Listen, enough people did that such that I paid my rent. Enough people did that actually such that I am uh, not housing secure. I'm in an Airbnb at the moment, desperately trying to get my papers in order. <laughs> but enough people did that that it reminded me like, oh, maybe I, maybe I should ask for enough money to be housing secure. Maybe it's not enough for me to be precarious on my own silently maybe the the sadness and the anger that i feel at finding out that so many of my clients were struggling silently instead of just opening their mouth and asking for help maybe that's how y'all feel about me maybe maybe i'm not the only one yelling thank you all for bolstering my ability to not negotiate I cannot stress how much it means to me to have such agency to steward my life and my space. I cannot tell you all how much I think and I think of you. I'm on the phone with my folks, my real life folks. I'm on the phone all the time. How do I say this in a way that makes sense? I'm teaching through this concept and I just don't feel like we're getting it. I didn't expect this question. How do I expand? I have taught myself new ways of speaking and of writing and of teaching to be here with all of you in vulnerability. I am now unfolding in ways that require me to acknowledge that I, in part, belong to the people. So I don't think of any of this as gambling. I think of this as trusting that this extended community of folks that I asked to see me in loving kindness would manage to catch me if I fell. And all of this, this not negotiating, this moving in love which requires precarity, this leaning in instead of staying upright, these processes of making community mutual. It reminds me why I have skin in the game. This is my calling in a life that I seem to still be living. And I'm coming back to it. Healthcare should not have financial costs as a barrier. Of course it feels manic and uncurated and wild. You all are watching me expand in real time. Do not witness me choose revolutionary action and then ask me to shrink. But how are you caring for yourself? My sweet friends, <sighs> maybe we do not have the same eyes on this world. If you can't look me up and down and see me that this shit is so much bigger than me by now, my word. If I look crazed, I am except that I am wild and untethered and insane. 
And then once you accept that, look again. In all my delusion, how well am I cared and loved? How well am I taken care of for all my failures, quote unquote, to care for myself? And then, for all your sanity and your self-sufficiency, the upright, the prim and proper balancing act of individualism, for all of that, are you frightened of the way people tire of the world? Are you happy on your tightrope, sane and alone? I would never tell you to jump down without building you a safety net. Because that's my job in this life. And I'm not going to shy away from that anymore. I am crazed, and so I will build one. Y'all wait and see. I got some tricks up my sleeve. But until then, I hope the work of your day passes through your hands with ease. Ismatsuchi. Just one final note. For the people that listen, this is a, a bit of an after-credit scene. It won't be a part of the essay. I like to give y'all, you know, different treats. Because there are footnotes that I'm not going to read here. Different, different strokes for different folks, you know. Now there was, um... At the end of that week, I had session to run. And I couldn't do it. Um, one, because it was orientation and not everybody was able to be in, in attendance. And it just, it doesn't work well if not everybody's in attendance for orientation too because I have asthma and the air quality in New York City continues to be abysmal so my chest hurt and I um I couldn't really breathe and I, d I didn't have an inhaler on me because I don't currently have health insurance um and I was having a day where I could not bring myself to get to be Ismatu Gwendolyn, the person that you see like regularly on camera, person that has face moisturizer on and lip gloss and took a shower and brushed their teeth. It was not happening. It was not happening. So I got on camera with these folks and I said, there are multiple reasons why I cannot do it today. And I'm so sorry about that. And it was too late to send a, I can't do it cancellation. Cause I have a thing about canceling people day of, I just don't, I would rather just show up raggedy. And so that you can physically see how raggedy I am <laughs> and how much we cannot do it. So we got to start this officially in a while. But I'm, um, I'm not feeling good. I have a lot of anxiety. I had just uh, posted that day about the therapy should be free thing. And my phone was blowing up. That's why I turned it off. It was so overwhelming. Between you and me listening to this. I'm never, ever, ever going to get used to seeing my face everywhere. Now that I'm in um, an area of the country where people recognize me um, and recognize me where they can't be Jedi mind tricked into believing that um, I just have a weird doppelganger somewhere. <laughs> the weight of views, the weight of the metrics has gone from performance to people. I no longer now see like 50,000 views. I see 50,000 individual screens that my face and my voice have flashed across. The stratification, it's something that previously boggled my mind. 
Like, I literally just couldn't think about it. The thought, would it was like looking at a math problem. Like, you see, like, 7 times 62, and I just observe the problem there. But my mind does nothing to begin chewing on that. That's how it felt. Now my mind is beginning to reconcile that I am public record. And so now every time I post a video, I want to hide in my house for a little while. Because I've not yet transitioned to this life of, um, a life where I feel easy being public record. It's actually really terrifying. So I shared all that. And I said, I don't got it. I don't got it today. I'm not going to have it tomorrow. We got we to gotta, we gotta try again next session. And everybody said, it's okay. Thank you so much for sharing. And then I was crying. I mean, I was crying talking. But I was just, I was just crying. And I told them, these three people, that I feel really insignificant. Um, and they started to protest. And I was like, no, 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 don't. I feel right now in this moment, I feel completely insignificant. And I feel really helpless. And I, um, I know that that sounds like I'm trying to confess to you ways in which I don't feel good. But in fact, those feelings feel amazing. All of this is bigger than me. The nature of, of social media, the nature of celebrity culture, it stratifies me. It makes me the point. And I'm very, very far from the point. I'm a vessel that the point sits in, but I'm, I'm not the point at all. And in this space where people were more than okay with me being feathers burned away, right? Like the weight of exhaustion of not sleeping in 10 days was visible on my face, voice, and person. I like had to speak slowly because I couldn't take in enough breath. To have that be more than perfectly all right. To have them still sit and convene in session where they talked and they got to know each other without me afterwards. I told them I feel helpless and insignificant and I am so happy to feel that way. Because it means that I am doing the thing that I set out to do. Where I bring people together that are able to care for one another in sincerity. Whether I am there or not is insignificant. Thank you, God. I didn't know this life was possible. And if you told me my life was going to be like this, I wouldn't have believed you. There is a lot that I am trading because I felt a lot of joy and peace and anonymity. And I am finding that everything that I'm trading is worth it tenfold because I am learning how to be someone who is in part made by the people in a way that not many people get to experience. And I am learning that I, in part, belong to the people and that will teach me so much more about what revolutionary love means than anything I could ever read. 
or any safety that I could ever make myself. and I have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I cannot believe I am alive to see this day. And I can't believe we're only just getting started. Thank you so much for listening. I hope the spirit of this earth causes their face to shine upon you. Have a good one.